following is a presentation of Artisan Church in Rochester, New York. So, without further ado, I would like to invite our guests from Need Rochester, Northeast Area Development. We have um, Robert Moses and Kim Nelson with us today. Would you both come up here and, and find a comfy seat waiting for you? <clears throat> This is not the first time we have had friends from Need with us on a Sunday morning, but many of you have not had a chance to meet these wonderful people, and so uh, this will be a great, great time together. Um, <clears throat> so here's a copy of what we're doing, and... So, uh... We are talking, as uh, Jesse mentioned earlier, uh, about our foundational value of justice. And uh, this is something that we want to be reaffirming and reworking and constantly trying to push into um, and, and, and to get deeper with um, as a church. Each one of our values, we want to be doing that with, but right now we're talking about justice. And uh, so... We can talk about justice and we can work toward doing justice ourselves, but it's important for us to partner with people who are already doing great work in the area of justice uh, in the kingdom, in our city. And it's important at times, I think, particularly for those of us who are part of a majority culture, which is most of us in the room, to have a posture of listening. And so that's part of what this is... Uh, intended to be this morning. We want to hear from your experience and your wisdom. And uh, if, I, if I know need, and I think I know a little bit, you probably have some things you want to share with us and ask of us, and uh, hopefully this will be a little bit conversational. We have some prepared questions, and I don't know how long that will take to get through those. And if we have some time at the end, we'll do questions, Q&A from the congregation, and you may have a question for us, and that would be fine too. Um, so, could we start, though, by each of you introducing yourselves and what you do at NEED? And whichever one of you goes first, and it doesn't matter, uh, would you tell us a little bit about the organization as well, for those who haven't had any contact with NEED yet? Um, I am Robert Moses. I'm Economic Development Director for Northeast Area Development. Um, NEED has been in existence since the 1960s. We're a not-for-profit organization, but we do have a for-profit entity in our economic development department. So we run the Freedom Schools, the Freedom Market, the Freedom Cafe, Freedom Print Shop, and we just partnered with the um, Salvatore's franchise. So we have the new Speedy Slice franchises that are up and coming. And again, it's not about profit. Again, we're not-for-profit, but we want to provide jobs for the inner-city kids who may not necessarily get a chance otherwise. Good morning. I'm Kimberly Nelson. I'm the Family and Community Engagement Coordinator. Um, part of the things that we do is we work with the different families in the community. Um, we work with the children that come through our summer program. We also work with those parents. Then we also work with, um, we have a new collaboration partnership that we're going to be doing with East High. Um, so we'll have students over there. It's um, been quite a bit of a journey, I'd say, working with those um, that doesn't necessarily know us. But in that journey, you know, we've engaged them and 
giving them an understanding of what we actually do. So, And thanks for having us this morning. Yeah, absolutely. And thank you for being here. Uh, so I'd like to read for you our foundational value of justice, the statement that we make about it. And I've given it to you. You have it in front of you there, and you've seen it before, I know. For some of you, you may be hearing this for the first time. For most of you, I hope that you have this like half memorized at this point. Uh, but this is what we say. This is what God placed on our hearts regarding justice when we founded our community, our church, a decade ago. We are captivated by the heart of God for hurting people and a suffering creation, seeking to bring compassion to those needs and a just end to their underlying causes. Now, last week I preached a a sermon about justice using this statement as a a framework, and we talked about uh, a lot of things, and at the end of it I found that I had some questions still. <laughs> and I presented those questions at the end of the sermon and did not, I, I hope, foolishly try to answer them um, when I didn't know what the answer was. But it's one of the things that we, these questions, is, is one of the ways we need to reaffirm this value is to try to begin to process these questions and some others. And so I've brought those questions here for you, not because I think you'll necessarily have instant answers to give us, but because, again, we want to be in a posture of listening. And so... One of the things, here's the first one. In that foundational statement, and you heard it as I just read it, we talk about the distinction between compassion, which is meeting an immediate need. Somebody needs clothes, you give them clothes. Somebody needs food, you give them food. Versus justice, which is addressing underlying causes. Why does that person need clothing? Why does that person not have enough food? What's present in the system that we could address to make that not be a problem in the future. So my question is, how do we decide whether to address an immediate need in our neighborhood or to engage in the work of addressing root causes and systemic issues, which is slower work that you don't see the fruits of as well? Well, for me, I think it's a two-pronged attack. I think they're both equally important. Um, Some of the root causes for us are education and economics and Needs will need to be met regardless. I think they can't be ignored, either one of them. Mm-hmm. So for me, it's a two-pronged attack. You have to uh, come to the root causes of it and address how it's affecting the community as a whole. Yeah. For us, we're coming on the heels of, in the last few weeks, five people being murdered, possibly a six because there's another person that's in critical condition in the hospital mm-hmm. with numerous other ones being shot again. So these things can't be ignored. They're going to you know, rear their ugly heads as we move forward. So we have to attack them on both. You know, we can multitask as a community. Yeah. So for me, I think it's, they're both equally important. Okay. Do you have some thoughts on that as well? Sure. So when you look at it, um, there are going to be some situations where, you know, say, for instance, you guys decide to do a soup kitchen for that night and you might have people that come in and that's hungry and you need to feed them. So you would feed them, um, rightfully so, but then getting to the underlying root cause of why are they hungry, you know, that's where it comes with the partnership and collaboration and, you know, building that relationship with them. Because as sad as it may be, you may get people that just want to come for the soup and they don't want anything else but the soup. So you can try to get to the underlying cause of it, but they might necessarily not want it at that time. So 
I'm a Christian just as well. So it's like you have to really, you know, pray and seek God to see what should happen after that, you know, because some people are just going to come for a season and then some will come back to actually partner with you. So with me, it's like dealing with families. You know, I may go into a home where there's children that need clothing and that mother might ask for the clothing. So for the organization's part, we'll bring them clothing. But then when I go back again, you know, we may get to talking and seeing like, well, what's going on? You know, you may find out other things like, you know, I just lost my job. You know, I don't have anyone at this time. It's just me and my children. You know, so sometimes you're not going to actually pull out your Bible to them and say, let's get to the scripture, let's Mm -hmm. get to the word, because some people are only going to see Jesus by what you do. And so with that being said, we have to be the walking character of God himself so that if they never walk into this sanctuary, they will have met him through us by our kind acts and what we actually do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Um, we're kind of a quiet reserve bunch, so like, <laughs> like three people going like this, that's... <laughs> they like the answer. <laughs> so let me ask a quick follow-up question. Do you find... I guess this is kind of getting to the, the, the root of the challenge for me. Do you find that sometimes you can be so consumed by meeting immediate needs that you don't have any energy or money or focus left over to get to those root causes? Anyone? (laughs) Sometimes it it, it is, and that's why um, with doing this type of work, and we have these conversations quite often as well, because we'll find ourselves out in the community doing things, but then we'll find that we need to be recharged. And when we get to that point, we have to pull ourselves together to say, what is, it is, what is it that we're doing here, and is this really where God wants us to be? Because sometimes some things that sound good may be good, but it may not be the right timing to actually do that. So we have to draw ourselves back to get recharged, because if you're not recharged and you're just allowing people to pull everything out of you, you're not going to be effective for what God actually has for you to do. And with the world that we live in, unfortunately, there's always going to be problems. There's always going to be people in need the poor will be with us always but at hand you have to just really be wise at what you do and make sure that it's God that's leading you to do it because if he leads you to do it the work will get done and he will he will recharge hmm. yeah. and um, to piggyback off that a prime example was uh, the primaries that just happened September 10th where we put a, a huge campaign to get people out to vote do voter registration and things but again we had less than 24% turnout for. So we have a lot of people who know what the root causes are, know what needs to be done, but they still will not engage. Mm. So we know there's still lots of work to do. Lots of work to do. That's actually an excellent transition to the second question that I have for you, um, which is about another tension that we see when we work for justice. How much justice work can be done at kind of a grassroots neighborhood level versus how necessary is it to try to influence public policy. Now, I imagine um, in a predominantly white evangelical church, if I just told you that's the demographic, you would say there's a lot of Republicans in that, in that church. Um, I would guess that the balance is, is it's not so skewed at Artisan. But at the same time, there's a lot of us in the room who are very cynical about politics, and we think Republican, Democrat, argue, complain, you go nowhere with that. 
But I think personally, as a pastor of this community, I have been challenged and convicted lately that there has to be some kind of public policy engagement. So do you have any kind of guidance for uh, this weirdly uh, political slash apolitical group for how to, <laughs> how to balance between grassroots work and community work versus engaging in public policy and maybe even politics? Well, um, for me or for us, uh, justice work is... Um politics we have to understand like everyone may have a different opinion on what politics is but politics is really in everything Hmm. it's the driving force of where decisions are being made decisions are being made about you how your family the economics how resources are being divided so everyone may have a different decision or a different example of how politics works inside of our communities but for the most of us in the inner city they don't understand how politics affect them but for those that do, we need to understand that it is a driving force and it, it, it's necessary. Now, how we handle politics and how we agree or disagree or agree to disagree agreeably <laughs> is, how we move. is how we move forward. Yeah. But we all know that there has to be a balancing act within politics. How do we divide the resources so there's not so many poor and only a, a handful of those that are fortunate? but then a mass of us that are less unfortunate. Because you're seeing it play out in the streets right now. A lot of it is politics. A lot of it is education. A lot of it is economics. You just decide how do you divvy one more than the other. I think they're all equally the same. I agree. And, and, And the one thing about it is that even as a church, we have to be aware of what's going on around us. Um, And even though, you know, with the politics, you know, we have to understand that ultimately we have the advantage because we have prayer and we have a God that will answer our prayers. So as the leader, you would have that conviction because God's not going to give it to everyone else. He's going to charge you with that. And it's your job to make sure that as the leader that the vision is put out before the people. And then your prayer would be that whatever God has for you guys to do with within the city or wherever you know that it will be and if it's him it will be Hmm. you know you may have those that may not agree just as an organization we may not agree on everything and we have a lot of powwows (laughs) we do and you know one thing we do we come back to is prayer you know and we have you know our men have a group that they do their sessions together and sometimes the women will come together and when we need to come together as a whole as an organization you know we'll just come together and at the ultimate end of the decision, it's what does God say in all of this? Hmm. Hmm. I'm going to give you my number. I need you to call me and leave that message on my voicemail every morning. <laughs> so you've made another good transition to this, this third question. Um, we also talk about wanting to be captivated by the heart of God. And I kind of rather dramatically last week said, we're not necessarily. We're, we may be working for justice, but for many of us, I don't think that's actually our motivation. I think our motivation is we have kind of some generic sense of right and wrong, or we, have a, we do have a political commitment that we want to honor, or we, we're kind of seeing our peers or people we respect engaging in this work, and so we kind of want to try to piggyback on it. But I don't think, and, and maybe I'm speaking, projecting too much of myself, because I'm very convicted by what you just said, Kim, um, but I don't think as a congregation we necessarily are motivated because we're captivated by the heart of God. 
And you've touched on it a couple of times, but maybe you can uh, go a little bit deeper with this question. How can we ensure that our motivation is from God's heart and not our own desires? I know you're going to say prayer. You just mentioned prayer, so please keep saying that. <laughs> but at, at, at the end of the day, it's sometimes when we're doing this work and when we're working for you know the kingdom itself, some days may be a little wearier than others, and you may feel like, you know, am I really hearing God on this? You know, am I really doing the right thing? Am I? And that just goes to show that you're actually doing the right thing. Because if you were motivated by self, you know, you would just be want to be honored and glorified by those around you. But when you're actually coming back to say, God, am I in your will? That goes to show that it's just not about you. You know, and sometimes we do, you know, I, there may be things that for the community, I'll put out something and say, you know, this is what I feel that we need to do. And it may not go necessarily the way that I think it should go. But at the end of the day, when it comes back to it, if God is pleased, so am I. You know, it's not about the numbers because of who shows up. It's about is God, is God in the plan, you know, and that's what's going to make the difference. Because if you can reach one you know, heaven is being glorified by that one. Mm. And at the end of the day, not everybody's going to want it. You know, Jesus was out there himself, and you had those who still didn't want to follow him. So I'm not going to, you know, boast myself up to believe that I'm going to change this whole world when he had the opportunity to do it and people still didn't want to receive him. So there's going to be those that will, and there's going to be those that won't. And at the end of the day, we just need to make sure that what we're doing is what he actually says. Hmm. Thank you. Um, for me, it's actually um, all ministry for me. Um, I looked at the little kids that were over there playing, and that reminded me of myself when my mom first started taking me to church. So as we grew, um, we moved forward, I knew that it was spiritually based because we started with the Freedom School, which was a spiritually based program that teaches the love of literacy. So as we moved forward, then it was family community engagement. And as we connected with the parents to get them organized and into what it is that we were doing, um, they had questions on how can we make systemic change. So that's where the politics took place where we said, well, okay, well, let's get some people on certain committees where we can get on certain boards of directors and we can make change. So we were able to get a hold of the organization itself and have people in place that can make meaningful decisions for us. So we're from the Freedom Schools. Then we understood, okay, we can't just sustain on grant funding because for months the Freedom School folks weren't getting paid. Hmm. And we still, you know, every day because we couldn't let up on the kids and the families who held us responsible for what it is that we were trying to do. So moving forward, that's when our economic development department was created so we can look for other ways to sustain and keep the ministry alive. Mm-hmm. So it's definitely God's work for me. Because yeah. there was lots of time. And for a lot of folks that I work with, we went months without getting paid. Mm-hmm. So we all took on other jobs. Kim has another job. I had another job. So, But we made sure that the freedom movement in itself sustained itself. And we're mm-hmm. like 10 years strong right now. Wow. So, so can I ask you guys a question? So how many have ever felt like God um, positioned on them to do work in the community or something at your job and it didn't go the way that you thought it should go. Raise your hand. Yeah. So that, that, would, be, that would be all of us. But how many stopped doing the work because of that? <laughs> so, 
So that's that's where you have to actually, you know, challenge yourself. And when 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 you get into those type of situations, um, mm. to say, you know, if it didn't go the way that I do, Lord, what, what is my place in this, you know, because sometimes, you know, it can be a one-time thing. Sometimes they'll say, go back and do it again. And sometimes it's a continuous thing, you know, but when you put yourself out of the way and say, you know, not my will, but your will be done, you have to understand what you're saying, because Mm. sometimes everything that come your way may not be the way that you want it, but you still have to understand that if it's his will, it's the right will. And it's a lot of times where I may go into a place where I'm meeting with a family and I'm just like, you know, my heart is just overwhelmed to see the different things that's going on in that home. And, you know, my heart goes out to the little children because I, at myself as a mother, I feel that it's our responsibilities as parents to make sure that our children are taken care of. It shouldn't be the system. It shouldn't be someone else. It should be our responsibility. And whether you're in a place or not that the system is helping you, you know, you still have to want to help yourself to make your family better. And so to see the mentality of some of the mothers these days, because really you have children raising children, you know, so when you go into that home and, you know, I have to take myself out of the situation to say, I'm not there to come and, you know, judge her, you know, but my job is to make sure that she can see that there is hope because some people are hopeless, you know, and they feel like this is it and this is all that it can be. But the God that we serve, we know that there is, you know, as long as we're down here on this earth, you know, there's still going to be a work to be done because if it wasn't, you know, it would be done. Hmm. So I want to hear from someone out there, you know. How do you feel as a church that, you know, moving forward, that if you're thinking that it's things that you're doing out of your selfish desires, you know, is there a way that you guys have a way to balance out each other? I mean, I know you guys have committees and groups and stuff, but how does that actually work for you? So Mike has a microphone here, so if anybody wants to respond to that, just put your hand up and he'll bring it over to you so we can hear you. visiting my son and, and daughter-in-law and my granddaughter Amen. with my Amen. wife. But as you're speaking, my mind is swirling with scriptures, you know. Micah 6.8, seek justice, love mercy, uh, walk humbly with your God. Uh, Isaiah 58, where he talks about, what fast have you chosen? The one that serves yourself or the one that serves all those in need around you? Right. And I, it's just so exciting to hear this conversation here in this place in a church where I can identify with most of you, Right. That white, the, we would call ourselves the majority, whatever, where I live it is, the same thing. But yet, how can we ignore the needs around us in a community where we're surrounded by so much need, and yet we easily do it, right? On Sunday morning, we, oh, we're going to give coats this day, we're going to give food that day, we're going to do this and that. We do our bit, and we say, good, see, we did that for you, God. Aren't we wonderful? And yet, those needs are, are long-term, like you're saying. The immediate needs can be so overwhelming sometimes that we don't ever find a way to address a long-term solution like you're talking about uh, where it's so important to, to do both. And I think sometimes we get caught up in the immediate so often that, that we don't really try to look at this is really is a long-term ministry, a long-term commitment uh, to 
people who it's a long-term need. And like you said, the needs aren't going to go away. But we need to be available to try to do whatever it is, that, as you said, too, what, you know, what God calls us to. Right? So I'm, I just want to thank you for the opportunity just to hear your conversation and to see that there is a desire uh, within the church to get beyond our own selfishness and really meet needs, just not just the occasional give some coats and give a meal, which is all important, don't get me wrong, but it's a lot more to it than that. Thank you. Yeah. Just for me, the, the question of motivation and direction, uh, to be blunt, I rely on the people here who I know have a real heart for it. I just, I, I lean on their passion. Hmm. I, I kind of, to piggyback off of what Doug said, um, I, I think the value of community kind of comes in there too, really forming relationships within the church so that if, if you know, if, if maybe your motivation for doing justice work isn't right, there's somebody who, who can kindly, you know, say, talk to you about it or, um, you know, you can really engage in a conversation with other people. And also, like, forming, intentionally forming community with the people you're trying to help so you can, you know, listen to them and, you know, know that you're treating them with dignity and you don't fall into the whole trap of white person swoops in and saves everybody, um, which I think is really toxic and um, would be a, a problem. Um, so I, I think forming communities with, within and without ourselves might, might help a bit with the motivation thing. Thank you. And while the microphone's moving, let me just be clear that um, there are all kinds of different motivations for doing justice. There are secular humanist, humanist groups that do justice work. Uh, I, I'm not saying that only people of Christian faith can do this well, uh, please don't hear me saying that at all. I'm saying that our motivation as a Christian church is that we're captivated by the heart of God, or it ought to be. So I just want to be clear, because I, I like that there are other groups doing this kind of work, and I don't want to place ourselves above them just because we have this pure motive somehow. I'm just saying, like, I want us to be captivated by the heart of God, because that's, we're a church, so that's what I want for us. So, yes. Um, <clears throat> so I think that sort of the consensus might be in the congregation that we, we do rely a lot on the people who we feel or who we see as being very called to a, addressing justice like Shane and, and Joel. Um, but I think that the reason why people, and I include myself in this, who feel the call to work in this area um, don't forge out on their own is based on fear. Um, Shane and Joel are, are courageous and they can lead the way and they can create an opportunity for, for us as a community. Um, but I think that we would have more potential people involved if we had a, if we could more easily see a way to sort of get outside of ourselves. And, and the, the fear that I am talking about is um, the fear of being perceived as the, the white person coming in and trying to fix everything. That's probably the biggest one. Um, the fear of not being able to do the work, not being able to be accepted by the people we're trying to help um, based on 
um, that sort of historical um, view of of you know middle class white people, um, and and then also the the uh, I guess um, the fear of being so swept up by it that our old life is now gone. Um, so I wonder if you could sort of address how you think that we can overcome those fears. So when we look at it, um, I, I can speak personally for myself because there's been a lot of stuff that's been handed to me that people think that I can handle. But mm-hmm. underneath there, there's that, oh my gosh, I can't, you know, what if this doesn't go right? You know, what if this, what if this? And then sometimes the Holy Ghost will just come in and just say, who are you doing it for? Mm-hmm. You know, so within myself, I have to pray and make sure that it's not me that wants to be seen, but the will of God is done at the same time. And it, it's just that assurance that comes with it, that's kn- that knowing that however it turns out, I've done what I needed to do, but I'm not going to sit here and say that there's no time that I don't feel that fear that you're explaining there. But to get over it, you know, I have to just consult God himself and just make sure that this is him. And if he says it's a go, then whatever happens after that, you know, I'm with him. And as long as I stay with him and stay connected there, there's that peace that that arises within myself to say that, you know, I did what he wanted to do. Because sometimes... Doing this work, you know, you won't get the accolades that you think you should. You know, people may say behind your back that it could have gone a different way, but at the end of the day, it's like, it it really doesn't matter because when I come before him, he's going to hold me accountable for what he told me to do, not what Pastor Scott told me to do. So there's going to be no one standing there at that judgment day when it comes down to it, but he and I to say, but did you do what I told you to do? And we have to understand, too, that some people come, but they don't come in the name of him. So when they get there, he's going to say, depart from me, you sinners of iniquity. I know you're not, you know. Your name is what? Because you didn't do it in his name. So when it comes to you, you know, everybody's not going to be a Moses. Everyone's not going to be a Joshua. But you have some Caleb's out there. You have some of those that, you know, that won't be able to do like a Shane and a Joel, but you can be you. And that's all he's required for us to do, because if he wanted us all to be the same, he would have made us that way. You know? yeah. So whatever he has called you to do, whether it's answering the phone for him, you know, putting some papers together for him, you've done your part. Because as a body, we all come together. We don't need a whole bunch of hands. We would look crazy. You know, we got two hands, you know. So whatever that part of the body you are, just get in where you fit in and know that it's all going to work together for the good. Because it's not going to be any big eyes or little U's, you know. Pastor Scott is called to do this great work to lead, you know, but I may be called to do this great work of, you know, sitting here and talking to you. I'm not going to try to be Pastor Scott because my name isn't Scott. It's Kimberly. So I'm going to be the best Kimberly. What about Pastor Kimberly? Could we talk about that? That's that's not my calling. (laughs) I think we have just a little bit of time left, so maybe we'll make this the last... Scott, can you speak to how our relationship with Need and Baber uh, help us to eliminate some of the feeling of white church swoops in and tries to solve problems? Yes. Um, well, you know, 
I harp on relationships a lot. I talk about relationships as a really important first step in almost any type of work. And um, to me, the, the reason that that's important and helpful is um, because you, when, when you're faced with a, with a big social problem, you think, I have no idea what to do. I'm paralyzed by the fact that this is enormous and I'm, uh, there's, a, there's a social or cultural barrier that I'd have to somehow get through in order to even begin to think about it and I don't even know where to start. When we have relationships with groups uh, that are doing this work, and, um, and I don't want to keep... It's, it's not all about race, but that is one of the barriers that we face, right? And, and we are called to racial reconciliation uh, as Christians and as artists in church. And so when we have relationships with people who are different from us in various ways, suddenly it's not, a, it's not just a big social enormous problem that we don't have any chance to break into. Suddenly it's, oh, that's Rob. That's Kimberly. That's Pastor Simmons. That's uh, Brother Dix. (laughs) That's Sister Yvonne. These are actual human beings, actual people with whom we now have friendship and relationship. And so whatever didn't matter to us before because it wasn't on our radar, because it doesn't affect us directly, now it's not just affecting those people Right, which is a very crass way, but it's how we kind of are tempted to think sometimes. Now it's affecting our friends, actual people, specific ones who we love. And suddenly that problem is no longer acceptable to us. It's, we, it's not something that we can just stand by and ignore because it doesn't happen to affect us on a day-to-day basis. So I think it's a first step. And that's like the only thing I know. <laughs> when I don't know what to do, I'm like, let's find a relationship. Let's build one somewhere with somebody because that's, that's a step that's important to take. So, I, um, yes, two? Well, uh, we might ask the band to cut a song if we do that, but we'll see. No, they're like, no, we're not cutting anything. <laughs> we might ask the congregation to stay a little long if we do that. <laughs> so... Um, I really appreciate all the work that you guys are doing in the Crescent neighborhood. I think that's just a, an amazing um, thing that you're doing. Um, I actually work in the Crescent neighborhood as a medical provider. So the question I have is, how do you, you know, I, there's always those diamonds in the roughs, those people who need the help, and then you're helping them to make them into something better. But how do you prevent yourself from getting uh, jaded from those who are just taking advantage of the system. They're not really trying to um, make things better, but, you know, status quo or, you know, sort of create um, so that you don't get in that inner feeling of really am I, you know, uh, continue to finding those people that really do need the help and continue to go um, in that direction of making that a better place. Hmm. Excellent question. Um, For me, I always do self-reflection, you know, there's a, a lot of selflessness in this type of work that we do. Because working in the inner city, we have a lot of naysayers. There's lots of stagnation. And there's different people at different points in their lives. When you're hearing everybody complaining, absolutely. But there's people who are at different points in their lives. Do you actually understand what's happening to you? Do you necessarily understand the problem that's before us as a community? Is your needs and wants just a reflection of yourself or are you part of this community that's trying to change so we get that all the time so for me 
like I like coming to Artisan, you know, and I like coming and going to church as much as I can. I'm still a work in progress, but this is where I can get my retreat, my spiritual retreat, my spiritual renewal, so I can get focused and make sure I understand what it's all about. Because I take myself out of it, and most people won't in this walk of life. They won't take themselves out of it. Um, again, when we talk about uh, not-for-profits, when we had that economic down, you know, the, the downside in the economics as a few years ago, lots of grants went out the window, so lots of agencies went out the window with those grants. So to fight the good fight, you do it on a, a daily basis with consistency, you definitely need a spiritual focus. We just hope and pray that we can reach more people and network and build more relationships with folks as we move forward. Because I think it benefited me to, um, I went to school in this neighborhood, 35 school and 23 school, uh, back in the mid-80s. And I think I was one of maybe three or four African-American kids in each one of those classrooms. But it helped me because uh, we built relationships around food. They had tuna fish sandwiches and peanut butter and jelly sandwiches that they brought into their lunches, but they loved the hot free meals that I had. So we <laughs> a serious, true story, true story. So we built and we made relationships off of food. And we it went on and on and on. So it helped me where a lot of folks aren't challenging themselves to step outside of their comfort zones. So you have the inner city that stays in the inner city and the suburbs that stay with the suburbs. But those who are savvy enough from a spiritual realm to be able to make those connections with those who aren't like you, may not think like you, don't look like you, you have to step outside that comfort zone to see where we are because we actually do need each other. The problem ain't going nowhere. So until we build these relationships to set up these networks for consistent and systemic change, we still have a lot of ways to go. And just to piggyback off what he said, um, over in Proverbs, when he says, you know, to trust in him and to acknowledge him and he will lead you and direct you into which way he goes, he said, in all thy ways, acknowledge him. So even in some of the simple, simple things, we need to acknowledge him to see what direction he wants us to go into. And I think for a lot of us, you know, we some people look at us as because we're Christians, we're supposed to say yes. And sometimes the answer is not always yes. Mm. Some of us need to learn how to say no. And that would help us along the way. And understanding that no may be the best thing for them. There was a lot of no's I've gotten in my life. And looking back at them, I'm glad they told me no because it helped me become the person that I am now. If everything was always yes, it would have always been what I wanted and not what God wanted for me. So understanding that just because you tell someone no doesn't mean that it's going to end there with you because God may have you to say no so that he can show them that he's who he say he is and for people not to always rely on others but to rely on him. You know, so just understanding that because there's a lot of people that, you know, they'll throw that at you. You know, aren't you supposed to be a Christian? I am a Christian. There's not I'm supposed to be. I am. But sometimes, no, it's going to be the better judgment at that time and not always making people feel like you should because just because they come to you doesn't necessarily mean that you're the person that's supposed to help them. All right. Yeah. Carrie, you get the last question or comment. Um. Yeah, so it's not really a question. I know I'm not part of the panel, but I'm feeling called to share uh, some of my own experience, uh, especially in response to Angela's uh, question. Uh, I think something that God has given to me in my life is a real love and focus on language. And I think uh, when we have this conversation, I often hear the the concept and the word help. Um, 
And something that God has shown me in my work is that um, he's coming to do the help, the helping and the saving, and that uh, it's my job just to show up and to bring him into that space and into the room. Um, and for me, that's helped to alleviate that sense of fear and responsibility that I have to be a savior because I'm not. God is our savior. God, uh, Jesus is the savior, and that it's my job just to show up and to be there. Um, uh, another another thing that's been sitting with me this morning is uh, Melody's prayer. Um, often when we talk about justice, we talk about the weak and the poor and the powerless. Um, and so for me, it's been a process of shifting my perspective instead of seeing the people that I'm in community with as powerless and weak, um, realizing that I am just as powerless and weak as them and, and being in that space with them uh, so, that, so that God can come and save us both in the process. Hmm. So I just wanted to, I was feeling drawn to share that yeah. with the group this morning. Thank you. Thank you. Well, um, we would love to talk with you for another hour or more, but we are uh, just about out of time. So thank you so much for being here. Would you join me in thanking them? Great. And we do have an ongoing partnership with Northeast, Northeast Area Development. We're proud of that, and we will keep working that uh, and building those relationships with them. And I think it's almost time for apple cider, right? You guys going to be bringing us some cider to buy pretty soon, right? So um, thank you once again for being here, and uh, we will. this is not the end of this conversation, even though we have to stop for today. So... Let me invite you now, all of you in this place who are seeking to follow Jesus, and you may have been just struck by this whole thing, saying, um, I don't know which way is up. <laughs> I don't know which way to go on the road, etc. That confusion is part of living out the gospel sometimes. And I would be really uh, sad if that kind of uh, paralysis and and frozenness <laughs> would stop anybody from coming to the table of the Lord. So we offer communion each week with uh, an open table. And if you're seeking to follow Jesus in this place on this day, this table is here for you. Um, we have uh, loaves of bread and cups of juice and wine and you can tear off a piece of the bread and dip it in the wine or the juice. This is not just an act of remembrance of Christ's sacrifice, it is that. And it's also an, uh, a moment to receive the spiritual food for our souls that is extended to us in the grace of Christ. And so if you'd like to partake in that as we sing these next couple of songs, you're welcome to. If you'd like to receive personal prayer, a member of our prayer team will be here under the cross and you are welcome to come and receive that as well. Um, if you're an observer in this space, if you don't consider yourself a Christian or a follower of Jesus and uh, don't feel that this would be an appropriate response for you. Just know that that's okay. We are happy you are here, and it's okay for you to sit and think and observe and, and respond however you'd like to respond. Um, but let us respond to this challenge together uh, at the table of the Lord in prayer and in song. All right. Our table's open. For more information, visit us at artisanchurch.com. 